Ashley's up doing some some studying up in um, Portland, so he'll be back next week. So stay tuned. So we've been doing a series of Psalms on Psalms. Um, if you were here a couple weeks ago with uh, Jonathan Elliott, you can like rest assured I'm not going to be singing the song to Psalm today. So that's 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 good news. Uh, problem with my problem with my voice is it's like 60% of the time it's just awesome, <clears throat> but it, it's the other 40% that sort of gets you. So. Uh, anyway, before I get to the talk today, I want to get to the, the announcements. We got the uh, church family camp out uh, a week from, well, it's this coming um, weekend, so 26th through the 28th. It's there in your bulletin. There's uh, the cost, $10 per person or $40 per family, and it includes two dinners and a breakfast, I think that's what I was told, or two breakfasts and a dinner. Two breakfasts and a dinner. Two breakfasts and a dinner. Uh, so if you have questions about that i obviously know nothing so see gene or danielle barber they'll know uh women's uh, mentor uh, luncheon august uh, 18th that's tw- uh, four weeks from now immediately afterwards this is a really important program um to to be raising up the next generation one of the things when i was uh, when i was a manager for the state uh, everybody's got their regular job but everybody's got another job which is preparing the people to replace them right and so we tend to forget that and so every generation needs to be preparing the, the previous generation that works you know up until maybe if you're like over 90 you don't need to be mentored anymore but pretty much everybody needs to be trained in how to, to fill that next level of leadership and uh, then also we've got men's retreat coming up in the middle of September women's retreat in the middle of October and a couple's retreat so I guess interesting they do the men and the women and then they do the couple so that that sort of makes sense so again we're in the Psalms uh, we'll be there here for a few more weeks it's our summer series uh, Pastor Josh covered uh, Psalm 1, the path of the righteous versus the path of the wicked. We'll see that a little bit today in Psalm 32. Psalm 34, two weeks ago, Jonathan took us through um, taking refuge in God, that he's open to your cry, and even when you're crushed, maybe especially when you're crushed. And this is the interesting thing about the Psalms is, well, first of all, they make up um, about 10% of the Old Testament, which is interesting because it's only one out of 39 books in the Old Testament, but it makes up uh, 2.5% of, I mean, of 10% of the volume, which is like two and a half times what you would expect. So it's easy to find because it's in the middle of your Bible. For today, you won't even need to find it because we've got it printed out in the, in the bulletin for you, and I'll, I'll go over that in a minute. Um, yeah, so the Psalms, they really, they're, they're written after most of the Torah and after some of the, some of the history books and before all of the prophets. But um, the interesting thing about the Psalms is they really bring passion to, to the people of God. And that, and that passion, sometimes it's like, God, you are so awesome. I can't believe how awesome you are. And sometimes it's like, are you going to show up? Because I'm dying here, right? And so you'll see all, the, the, um, all the, the highs and lows and pretty much everything in between. I think we're going to pretty much see that gamut today in Psalm 32. Now... <clears throat> Today, uh, you know, this is it a teaching sermon or is it a, a sermon sermon? Well, I think it's gonna, you'll find it's going to be a mix today where some of it is declared truth, which is really what a sermon does, declared truth, and some of it is a shared life experience. Because as, and when I first, when Josh first mentioned to me a couple months ago, could you, could you preach on Psalms? I said, I hope Psalm 32 isn't taken because that's the one I want to preach on. It's, uh, the, the title I gave it is really a, is a microcosm for life in Jesus, and, and you'll see this iterate, I'll talk about it a little bit from my own life perspective, you'll see it in your own life, and I think you'll probably see it iterate um, through your life. So, um, 
when I was d doing some study for this, one of the one of the I love reading the experts, the commentators, because like when you when you read the word of God, that's the word of God. And when you read it and if you don't like it, you got to change. Uh, but when you read a, um, a commentator who uh, a man or woman, they're they're still a man or woman. They're, they're still bringing their own you know thoughts and prejudices. You can disagree or agree. Well, I, I was reading one of the, the foremost uh, experts on the Hebrew scriptures today, um, alive today, his name is Robert Alter, and he talked th about this, about being a wisdom psalm, and um, like tying it with Proverbs or something. And I thought, well, it's really all wisdom. And then another one, and, and, and then he said that it begins, oh, he, uh, this is what he said. He said it begins with verse 8, the wisdom song. Psalm, and I thought, well, it begins, it's the whole thing is wisdom, as, as we'll see. And so the key theme today is listening to your heart. And, and listen to your heart because you don't know where your heart's coming from necessarily. Sometimes your heart is good and it needs to be validated. Sometimes it's wounded and it needs to be healed. And sometimes it's deceptive and it needs to be corrected. But listen to your heart, that's sort of where it starts. And today, especially as you're, as you're listening to me speak from the scripture, listen to God. Listen to what he's speaking to your heart. And then respond to the voice of God. We'll see this happens throughout the psalm. Now, memorizing scripture, Jonathan talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think about the time I've, uh, Janie knows now, but not everyone knows. I, I play the piano, so when I started playing the piano, um, in the Lyndon Johnson administration, if, if that means anything to you historic, historic history buffs, um, I, s I would go someplace. Everybody, all my family knew I could play now and I could play decently well considering I'd only been studied a few months. And so they'd always ask me to play something. And I would go and I'm thinking, I can't play something. You know, to a non-musician, it looks like magic. You sit down and you play something. And my grandmother made it look like magic. Well, it's not magic, Right. Try practicing for a few thousand hours, then, you know, then it comes naturally to you. But uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to start memorizing pieces. That way I can, when I'm out and about, I can show what I'm learning and, and how, I'm, how I'm growing. So, um, so I did that, and, and now I'm to the point where I can play, you know, for a, a few hours probably just by memory. But, you know, it, it rarely comes up. It's not really an issue. But one of the things I learned, the value of memorizing, and this applies directly to the Scripture, the value of memorizing is it becomes a part of you. So no longer, when, once I memorize the piece, then it's the, the sheet music is no longer a barrier to me experiencing the music. And likewise with the scripture. When you, um, when you memorize it, it becomes a part of you. Now, I'm, I, I got to say, I'm not like, um, I'm not a, a superstar in memorizing. I probably memorize maybe, maybe uh, no more than 100 verses and maybe a dozen in Spanish, but still, and, and, and maybe 100 or so stories. But, but the fact that I, I've memorized a little bit, it always writes it deep on my heart. So the Psalms, like I say, in general, they bring passion. Uh, they bring poetry. They speak not just to your head, but to your heart. And that's a little uncomfortable sometimes for the Western mind, for the Western mind of a man in particular, because it's speaking to the heart. And so we can't always take the, the words literally because it, it's poetry. And, but these stories, and particularly the story today in Psalm 32 where we see it's sandwiched, it begins and ends with God's mercy and the joy of being a servant of God. And, and then it will go through this uh, phase of, of 
of despair and repentance and renewal and then power. We'll, we'll see that, that pattern as we go through it. Now, there's going to be a lot of questions today. I'm going to throw a lot of questions at you, many more questions than we can process, because I don't know what question is burning in your heart this morning. Maybe you don't even know yet, because maybe God is going to show you. I don't know. Um, but as, as I'm going through the questions, just listen for the two or three that really jump out at you that God will be working, uh, working with you in the next week. Again, Ed, Pastor Josh has mentioned, so as we're going through this psalm series, be reading the psalm in the morning that we cover today. So read Psalm 32 every morning, and then read Psalm uh, 51 for next week. Read that every evening. It works good as an individual. It works good as a couple or as a family. So try that on because it helps um, really ingrain it. Now, the Psalm 30, this Psalm 32 that, that has my attention so great, I will say it's not the first psalm that, brought, that got my attention. Psalm 8 was the first psalm that got my attention, and it got my attention the first time I read it. Psalm 8 says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, Elohim, and crowned him with the glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You, set, you put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the first time I read this, it was like I went out and saw the stars. You could still see the stars back in those days in Sacramento before the light pollution. I, and I, I, and I, would, my, I could like feel my mind start to go um, like, you know, like if you're an electrician, like overload because it's like how far does this go? How big is God? And so that first reading... Uh, it just captivated me. And, and this is the beauty of the word of God. It's like you can read it once and it just like blows you away. And then there's Psalm 32, as I'll, I'll cover in a little bit. It's like I read that 50 times before it really, um, you know, I really started to understand what it was saying fully. And maybe not fully yet. Maybe I'll read it, you know, maybe I'll discover in another 50 readings that there's a whole other level there. So I'm going to read Psalm um, 32 for us now. Um, so follow along because you've got it here. A, a couple of notes here. You'll see some red in there. I'm using the New American Standard, which we don't usually use here. It's very reliable and, and um, uh, as reliable as any, um, any translation today. Uh, it's just not what we typically use here. We typically use the English Standard Version. The reason I use it is because the New American Standard, whenever the, the um, translator takes some liberty in the translation to make it readable for the modern, uh, modern ear, the English uh, reader. Um, they, they will add some words sometimes, and sometimes they'll, they'll switch things around a little bit, not to lose the meaning, but to actually help communicate to a, um, a modern audience, modern English audience. So what you see here, the, some of the stuff that's crossed out or where it's emphasized in red, that's where uh, the literal rendering is a little bit different than you would see if you just looked barely at a at a, a new american standard because and and there's some meaning there that i got by looking at the more literal renderings and, and i'll come to that in a bit so psalm 32 here it is it's a mascal it, it's a um which probably means it's like 
it's something to think about. It's, it's a didactic. It's teaching. And, and we'll see that it's teaching us something about life, about the life phases we go through. <clears throat> How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my body wasted away through my roarings all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My life juices were turned into the drought of summer. Now, that word sila means we're supposed to stop and think about it. And this is one of those things that we really get uncomfortable about because, like, uh, well, we're not supposed to have quiet. We're supposed to, like, move on to the next thing. But David, when he writes this, he wants us to know that this is something to stop and think about. When I kept silent, my body wasted away through my roarings all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My life juices were turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Let that sink in. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time of finding out. Surely in the flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I made that change later. It's more accurately shouts of deliverance. And here's the meat. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or mule, which have no understanding and whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. So there we have it. Starts with joy, ends with joy, and then in between, you've got desperation, repentance, redemption, and power. And I've seen that cycle in my life. I'm going to share that a little bit with you in a minute. And I think we'll, you'll see that in your life, and I think we'll see it iterate throughout our life. So this first one, it's interesting to me, uh, if, you, if you talk to a secular person, a lot of times they think uh, all that stuff, it's like uh, that, that, that church stuff, that Christian stuff, it's so like oppressive. And maybe we've given it a, you know, a sort of a bad, a, a bad reputation. Maybe we give God a bad reputation sometimes. But w- this is not a faith of, of darkness and oppression. It, it, joy is supposed to be at our core. That doesn't mean happiness is always at our core because, because life is tough sometimes. But, but the freedom that we have in the forgiveness of, of, of God is something that we can't attain any other way. And, and um, one of the other things I, I love about uh, the, the, the commentators is one commentator said that this was a, a penitential psalm. Penance meaning something, uh, some voluntary self-punishment as an outward expression of repentance for having done wrong. And I'm thinking, this is not a penitential psalm. First of all, I mean, I know some groups of Christians um, do penance, right? But I think penance, and I'm not, I don't want to put down my Christian brothers, but I think penance is an unchristian thing. I don't need, I mean, I should be 
sorrowful for my sin and I need to turn around and, and turn to God, but like inflicting myself with some kind of outward pain because uh, so I can make myself right before God, guess what? That's not needed. That's, that's like not even of any value. It's only going to put me down because Jesus makes it very clear. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Who is the one who condemns us? Jesus Christ is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Paul makes it clear, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not because of some kind of random or, or painful torture I inflict upon myself, but because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why this psalm, a thousand years in advance, can sing of the great salvation of God. That's why it can end with the, the salvation of God, because we have great joy. So um, I felt this freedom early on. I was not raised, and many of you know, I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised, my, my uh, dad was very anti-God, but I was raised in a greater Christian culture, partly in the, in, the, in the community, but mostly with my grandparents. So I felt this love of God early on, even before I really knew how to internalize it. I, uh, one of my earliest memories, going back to scripture memorization, one of my um, earliest memories of my grandfather and one of my few memories of, of interaction with my grandfather was he taught me when I was three or four, he taught me to memorize John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. 17, too, but that's, that's not as big of a number. And then uh, six thir- Matthew 6, 33. Uh, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if you had to learn two verses of scripture early on to base your life on, that'd be pretty, those would be pretty, two pretty good ones to, um, to start with. So uh, I... I knew about God's love early on. I wasn't really super connected with God, but I never felt like unconnected to him too. I, I hadn't actually been redeemed yet. But I, um, I, I knew that love that my grandfather had for Jesus. He, he hadn't had that love for my dad, but he, and he didn't have that love for my grandmother, but he had that love for me and he, he shared that with me. So I grew up in this, went to church whenever I was with my grandparents, which was a few times a year but always felt that Jesus was there, never doubted his word or doubt that he was there. Um, but then when I was 11, just as I got ready to go into uh, seventh grade, uh, my brother sat me down. And my older brother was already a Christian. He had, been, he had accepted Jesus and been baptized. And so he shared that in, in a um, pretty clear and direct way. And my, my brother isn't the kind of, I mean, he and I get along quite well, but he was always one of those older brothers that wanted to, to uh, mother me. If you're a younger brother, you might have had that kind of older brother. It doesn't feel very good. But I knew that this was right, that I should connect with God. And so I went through the motions, I'll call them, of, of you know, going forward at the next Sunday service. And then I was baptized a, a couple of Sundays later. And, and I'm going to cover the rest of my story in a few minutes. I, I didn't really come to a full commitment to God until two years later and I often have wished had wished that I had waited to be baptized until my complete commitment to God as I was going into junior high into into high school but recently I um, 
God had me write up the story of my life. And in that writing, I realized, oh, I see how things happen. Because as soon as I made this, as soon as I received Jesus' redemption, which, I mean, I had fully received it, but I hadn't, like, internalized it. So from God's perspective, I was fully redeemed. But from my perspective, it really hadn't changed my life yet. Uh, God had, don't get me wrong, God had transferred me from the domain of darkness to the domain of light, clearly. But I, it, it hadn't changed me yet. I, I believed in God, but I wasn't really committed to him. But what God knew, which I didn't know, which I didn't even realize until a couple of years ago, is my life was about to go off the rails. I mean, every way imaginable, my life was about to implode. And mostly out of my control, maybe all out of my control. But still, I, I was going to implode. So um, right after I, I became a Christian at the age of 11, um, my family went through a complete economic chaos. It's like we thought we were going to become homeless, and this is like decades before that word was even in our national vocabulary. We, uh, so we were going to become homeless. Um, my my dad got a job elsewhere, which meant he wouldn't be at home, so now my beloved father wasn't around, and so that was unsettling for me. I changed schools, and so I was completely thrown in to the... Um, just the confusion and and frustration of of junior high school at at the age of eleven, um, and so and then biologically it's like I was starting I was starting to become a man, go from a boyhood to manhood so I had that all going on and I just thought I'm like for for two years from that age of eleven to thirteen I was like going further and further down further and further. so people will will speculate like philosophers will speculate it's like is there really a hell? I mean, would God really send people to hell? Well, I don't think he sends people to hell. I think that's what people choose. But is there a hell? Yeah, I know there's a hell. How do I know that? I know that because I've been there. I was there for two years, which isn't that long. But when you're in the midst of it, it's like it's in eternity and, and going down further and further. I had, again, God's redemption had taken a hold of me, but I had not taken a hold of his redemption in my own heart. And... It's interesting looking back on that when I saw that, okay, you see, none of that, none of how my life was going to be crazy in every area, none of that surprised God. It all surprised me because I I was like, I was living the high life. We were like middle class finally, and I was the, I was the beloved son, uh, you know, and so I thought this, I'm all that, right? But, uh, but God knew everything was going to change. God knew everything was going to go off the cliff. And before that happened, he made sure that I was uh, founded in him, even in a way that I didn't realize it. So, um, so my life began with the joy. Then came this, uh, then came this desperation. And then this is what I went through for two years. When I kept silent about my sin, excuse me, when I kept silent, my body, bone, substance, my body wasted away through my roarings all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My life juices were turned into the drought of summer. This is something of reality. This was what I went through for two years. I've, I've, you know, gone through it at various tough times since then, but nothing like this, right? Um, But what I like about this is, and the reason I crossed out about my sin, because, um, again, the, the translators put it in there for readability, but it's not just about the sin. Yeah, you should be, like, 
at the end of yourself from sin, but it's not just from sin. It's from the brokenness within you. It's from the brokenness around you. It's, it's from realizing that um, even the best stuff in this life are, is not going to be enough. So it, it, and the other thing is silence is deadly. I mean, and again, this is another um, threat to Westerners, particularly to Western men. We keep silent about something. We won't talk about it. Let's just talk about it. Because once you, once you talk about it, it starts giving you some, some power. My life juices were turned into the drought of summer. I can't even remember what the, what the New American Standard says there, but this, this phrase is the literal uh, interpretation, and it sums it up so much, particularly for what I was going through. Particularly what I was going through. So I came to grips with the emptiness of my own heart. I finally listened to what my heart was saying. Can... Can you hear what your heart is saying? Because if you can't hear what your heart is saying, it's going to be hard to hear what God is saying. Have you come face to face with the emptiness of your own soul? Have you come to grips with your own efforts not being enough? Because it's when you come to the end of yourself that you come to the beginning of God. And and as I said, I I have come to that in the dark night of my soul. And I was, I got to say, I mean, some of my friends think I'm arrogant, but I was a really good boy. I, I was a good student. I was respectful. I was, I was charming. Um, and, st- and, and, okay, some of that has gone away, but not, not all of it. <laughs> but, um, but I wasn't doing anything I, I, I shouldn't do. Uh, and still, I could feel, I could feel the, the clutches of meaningless surround me. Now, Oh, and I can also remember, because uh, I wasn't like, I was a good boy, but I wasn't a perfect boy, so I can remember uh, getting into some trouble, and, and God, like, and that was like the, 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 one of the, those moments where God just like, he's metaphorically, but, but just barely grabbed me by the, by the collar and like shook me, and, and um, it sounds sort of um, aggressive, even almost violent, but what he was doing was he was scaring the hell out of me because he knew this, uh, that I, what the path that I was starting to go down was not the path of of his calling, not the path of my heart. And so there I was, I felt like, I felt in the abyss, right? And, and to some extent I was there because I'm human. Some of the extent I was there because I was growing up, but a lot of it I was there because God was showing me in advance what it was going to be like to live without him and how I didn't want to live like that. But see, God didn't keep me there. God met me there. And I asked for God's forgiveness. Have you explicitly asked for God's forgiveness? Or if you have, have you accepted his forgiveness? Because I had technically accepted God's for, for, I mean, asked for God's forgiveness, but I hadn't, like I said, I hadn't really internalized it and it's when i could internalize it and this is why the speaking is important this is why when i kept silent i wasted away speak it right speak it is when it when it gives you some power and you start turning things around speaking brings truth and i opened my heart 
so I, I, in the midst of that, I got like so, so lost, so broken. And I couldn't, by the way, couldn't tell anybody about it. It's like, so it was all my own private hell. I wasn't, couldn't share any, share it with anybody. So th- another question, can you open your hurting heart to God and, and to trusted friends? Can you open your heart? So the next phrase, the next um, couplet. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my sins to the Lord, transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So as I reached the end of that two years, I got so desperate I thought the only, my only option at this point, I, I wasn't suicidal or anything, but I, but I um, and I don't think I ever would have been, but I was definitely through the abyss of meaning. So I turned to God. I thought, that's what else, what, what other hope do I have? I didn't even know what that meant. The only thing I knew that it meant at the time was going back to church. So w- I started going back w- to the church my brother went to. I went sun, you know, Sunday school, Sunday church, and we had evening Sunday school and evening church. And I went all that starting the summer as, as I finished eighth grade. I was, had just turned 13. And I, I, nothing was happening yet, but I could feel a softening. And I went off to, to camp, and this is why I have such a love for camp. So I went off to camp, and God really spoke to me, but I didn't respond. And that then I thought, i got to go to camp again. We had another camp, a, a local camp, at the end of August, and that's, that's the camp that I went to. That's where I could finally speak the words that I hadn't been able to speak. I'd been able to seek God out with my feet, but not with my heart and my lips yet. And when I spoke those words, I don't even know what those words were other than just like um, <laughs> just acknowledging my sin. I didn't really have any like, m- like I wasn't robbing banks or anything, but I just knew that there was this generalized darkness in my heart that, that needed his healing. And and I reached out for that. Some people have like specific things they've got to ask forgiveness for. I didn't feel that, but I felt, but I felt a generalized. And I don't mean it. It was, it, but it was, it was generalized in the sense that it was complete, right? I, I mean, um, so it wasn't like just, just in this area. No, it's like okay, I don't know what I'm doing, God, but I'm giving you, I'm giving you everything. And because when I could speak the truth in my heart, and this is why speaking is so important, because. Speaking brings truth, and truth brings repentance. And that's where I was. Now, repentance is interesting. This, this whole verse 5, which really probably should be two verses, it's interesting because it is so hard to ask for forgiveness. I mean, if you've ever been in a relationship, you know it. Now, why, now this makes no sense because, because who, uh, if you're here and you've never asked for forgiveness from anybody or from God, you know, you've got a serious problem. But, I mean... Is everybody like me that we resist, like saying, I'm sorry and I'm going to do better and, and resist and resist until we can't hold it anymore? And as soon as we do it, we feel better. If you'd think we'd learn, right? It, I mean, no one ever says, oh, I did this awful thing and I just finally said I was sorry for it and that was the biggest mistake. Well, I, not usually, right? Usually it's like, what a load off my mind now and, and, until we have to do it again, right? But it's interesting because, again, speaking brings truth. Truth brings repentance. And repentance brings freedom. And it goes on, uh, David goes on into the next two verses. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time of finding out. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. It's like, this is good news. Now that I've acknowledged my sin, now I'm free. Now I'm resting in this space where God intended me to rest. Th- that I'm, I'm free. I've got the forgiveness. And may- maybe even uh, some religions talk about karma that I've actually done or, or, or generalized karma that society's done. Well, I've been forgiven of all that. I'm, I'm now free. And, and, and this is important. Speaking leads to truth. Truth leads to repentance. Repentance leads to freedom. And I finally felt free, like all of a sudden. Um, look at verses 6 and 7 again. What, I'm sorry, back up to verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time of finding out. Uh, I think in the New American Standard, uh, un, unchanged, I mean, with the, without the re- literal rendering, it says, pray to you while you may be found. Now, I think that's part of the finding out. And that's the reason I like this in a time of finding out, because it's not just about God that you have to find out. Now, of course, that's accurate and it's inaccurate in the sense that Jesus is the sum of all truth. I, I understand that, right? Uh, but there's things that you have to find out about God but there's things that you have to find out about yourself that, that God's going to reveal to you. There's things that you have to find out, I had to find out, that were very negative and bad in my family, my, um, my immediate family and my extended family. I had to find these out. I could only find them out from God. I had to find out about God. I had to find out about my own heart. I had to find out about the heart of God. I had to find out about the heart of others. And praying is to God is what got me over a long period of of time, which is continuing, of finding out. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Um, I I don't live in the floodplain anymore, so this may not be a threat. But what about the flood of, like, health problems or economic problems or emotional conflict? Who doesn't face this? You are my hiding place. God is a place of refuge. Now, we're not supposed to stay there, but we're supposed to rest there. We're supposed to be know that's where we will always be protected. You preserve me from trouble. Troubles of life, again, health, finances, relationships, the brokenness. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And, and this, uh, Pastor Josh covered it a little bit in Psalm 88, where where it was in the tough times preparing you for the challenges ahead. That's where the praises come. Speaking brings truth. Truth brings repentance. Repentance brings freedom. And freedom brings power. Because God is our resting place. And you can see this, for instance, when Jesus sends the apostles out in Matthew chapter 10. Um, He sends them out two by two. uh, First, later on in in Luke chapter 10, he'll send them out two by two um, in 36 groups. But in, in, in Matthew chapter 10, it's two by two in six groups. He sends them out. He says, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about where you're gonna stay. Don't worry about the clothes. Don't worry because you got your hands full going where God wants you to go and doing what God wants you to do. Because... Um, 
<laughs> and I think this is sort of maybe the mistake that that many of uh, of the Jews made early on is they they were they are God's chosen people, and and we're God's chosen people. God has has chosen everyone in here, even if you're not connected to Him yet. But He didn't choose you just to like pour His blessing on you, right? He did that, but He also chose you so that you pour His blessing throughout other people. So God loves you to love on you and then so that you can go out and love on others. In Matthew chapter 10, that's what he does with the disciples. He said, don't, don't worry about your food or anything else because you've you got you to gotta go. You've got to move. You're not staying here. You're moving out to something new. And that's what God does in, in um, chapter 8 and chapter 9, I mean, verse 8 and verse 9 here. And this took me a long time to get. It, I didn't get this the first time, the first 50 times that I read it. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. <clears throat> I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, and whose trappings include bit and bridle, otherwise they will, uh, to, ho- to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Now, I know a little bit about horses. One of the early things from my childhood, I have a, a deep, deep love for horses. When, my dad, when I was three or four, my dad would take me to his boss's ranch. They had two beautiful palominos. And I'm telling you, I was like, Nuts for horses right away. I mean, I've always liked dogs, and I rose, ra- raised uh, purebred beagles for a while, but, but I've always, well, never, never had a dog I could ride, actually. So, but, the, but the horses, I, could, I got right into this, and my dad would tell me some, some stories I could remember, um, but some stories he were like when I was two and three, and I don't remember so clearly. But he would be grooming the horse, and, and I would be, my parents never, uh, you know, like, they were not really into safety that much. So, uh <laughs> It's like, uh, I don't know, he plugged, I I mean, literally, this is is a true story. It's like, you know, an open wire, I plug it in and put one into my mouth, and my grandmother's, you know, 1860 home, it's like, why I didn't get electrocuted? My my parents, they always thought that was funny. Um, So here I am, so so here I am, you know, the big horse, and it was a big horse, too, and I'm not just saying that because I was a scrawny little kid, big Palomino. I'm walking in and around him and through him, and and my dad's grooming him, and I'm watching him feed him, and I'm thinking, this is so cool because the horse is eating oats. I mean, that's what I just had for breakfast, right? So I just love horses. And then we're riding. I'm riding, um, I'm riding Silver, who's the gelding, and he's riding Babe, the, the uh, mare. And he's, he's, my dad's got me. I'm, I'm in the saddle all by myself. And, and I wish I had a picture of this because I was as small as a three- or four-year-old could be. I mean, I'm still not that big, right? But I was really scrawny as a little guy. And I'm riding that horse, and, and I've watched enough Roy Rogers and Fury on TV to know how to get this horse to go. I mean, my legs, you know, can't kick the, the sides of the horse, the loins of the horse to get him going, but I can go. Now, Silver can hear that, but my dad can't hear that. And so Silver would start catching up, and, and he, would, he would say, get back, horse. And, and so it was so funny because I'm thinking, my dad has no idea what's going on, but I've, I'm, I'm this little, you know, 40, 50-pound kid, and I'm controlling this massive horse. Loved horses. And so, so it was like, took me, but, but it still took me 50 times to read this scripture to think, I'm thinking every time I read it for the first 50 times, Oh, God wants me to be responsive. God wants me, he says this, and I, and I like, I don't, you know, I don't like slow down. I don't like question him. I don't, no, I, I like respond as soon as he wants me to move, which by the way is a good idea, right? So the scripture isn't saying you don't have to respond to God. But then I realized, well, a horse, a well-trained horse is very responsive. 
<coughs> when you, I, I, if you don't know, if a horse is rein trained as they should be, all the rider has to do is lay, lean the rein on the right side of the neck and the horse will turn to the left. Or you, or you put the reins on the left side of the neck and the horse turns to the right. And so then it dawned on me. Scripture isn't talking about, about being responsive. It's pointing us to the, to the way a horse is trained, which is through fear. God does not want us to be fear-based. Now, you hear some talk about the fear, fear of God, and um, I think it's mistaken. In that same Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talks about fear. He says, don't be afraid. I'll read it here in uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 36, uh, 26. Because he knows he's sending these guys out. These guys that are probably, you know, older teenagers, maybe in their 20s. They're, they're learning at the, at the foot of this great rabbi. They, for the most part, don't know he's the son of God yet. But they know he's a great rabbi. And they're just going to, like, soak up that learning for the next 10 or 20 years. And then maybe they can do something. Says, no, you're going out. You're, you're going out, and, and you're going to share the word. And so they're sort of scared. And they're young, and they're going to be speaking these words to older men. And in an honor culture, that's a really big deal. You can't just go up to an elder and start telling him what's up. You just don't do that. So he says, therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Okay, this is the danger about stopping and reading just one verse, right? It says, don't fear those who can kill the body, fear fear." him who can kill the soul. And of course, that's only God. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He says immediately, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? It's probably actually less than a cent in our monetary system. And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So if we summarize what Jesus is saying, he said, don't fear the person who can kill your body, fill the fear of God who can kill your soul, but don't fear him because you're valuable than, than more valuable than you can even imagine. So it's not that God wants us crouching in fear any more than a good father would want his you know, kids crouching in fear, right? He wants us to respect him. He wants us to, to, um, uh, <laughs> to respond to him. He, he wants us to be fully empowered because once you have a proper fear of God, then you are fearless. I mean, the apostles show this. We, we studied that a couple weeks ago in, in Acts chapter 2. These guys that were crouching in fear, thinking maybe they're next. And then when they see uh, Jesus raised from the dead, they're still fearful. When Jesus sees them in John chapter 20, he says, don't be afraid. Just because you're seeing a, you know, a resurrected body. He says it twice. Don't be afraid. Receive the Holy Spirit, then forgive. It's like this fear is so natural to us. And it's so ingrained in us god doesn't want us to be afraid doesn't because he knows that fear is what's going to hold us back so speaking leads to truth truth leads to repentance repentance leads to freedom and freedom leads to power that's really what i learned from this 
from this psalm, and it took a long time. God does not want us to be motivated by fear. So when you hear the verse, voice of God, now, I, when I say hear the voice of God, let me be clear also, I have never audibly heard the voice of God. As far as I know, it's possible. I, I think I know people who have audibly heard the voice of God. I didn't, I've never heard it. Um, if, if I do, I, I will not be, I might be shocked, but I won't be surprised. Um, but I hear it in my heart, in my mind. And when I hear it, I know, I know what that voice is. And it, it goes like this. It, 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 it's, it, this, this has happened so many times, and it's happening with increasing frequency. I'll get this idea. By the way, if that voice tells you to rob a bank or go steal that old lady's purse, it's the wrong voice, right, clearly. But when that voice is telling you to speak words of encouragement, lift somebody up, um, tell your brother how much you love them, th- you can be pretty sure it's the word of God. But listen for the voice and, and where it's going to take you. But when I hear it, it's like this. is I'm thinking, okay, maybe that's not the voice of God. And then as soon as I say that, it's like it says, oh, yeah, you know it's me. You know it's me. And and I'm, I'm better at, at recognizing when I hear that still small voice now than I was. But, um, but I started hearing it like right away in, in my Christian walk. Sometimes I would get immediate feedback. I mean, not immediate, but, you know, within like a day or so. So like um, on, on June 11, 1970, when God told me, you got to go to this church meeting tonight. You got to go to this church meeting tonight. I never went to the Thursday night meeting. Never went to the... Th- God just said, you got to go, you got to go. I had all these obstacles. He just said, you got to go. So I went, and that night after, um, after an hour or two talking to, to Mary and realizing that, hey, she could be the one for me, I thought, okay, I get it. I, so I responded right away. There was another time with heart palpitations. Uh, by the way, my heart's fine as far as I know, uh, but I was having these heart palpitations. And this is at the point, this is only about 10 years ago, so I was getting pretty good ab- about catching this word of God, hearing it and responding to it. And so I'm at lying in bed and my heart would, my heart, it turned out it was a problem when my heart's at rest because uh, when my heart's working, like even as walking, you know, just a, a gentle walk, it, it's, it's not a problem. But when I would rest, it would go beep, 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 beep. And so, and I'm all learning at the age, I'm like in my mid fifties at that point, learning how this business about breathing and heart rhythm is like really synced. So then I'm not, not, like, not catching my breath. Now, some people, that's going to freak them out. Um, Mary's, you know, she, she worries about her heart a little bit. I, I wasn't worried. I was like praying. It's like, I'm just trying to pray, God. I'm not worried that I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm not worried about dying. I'm just like, I just want to pray. I just don't know how, I don't know how you could possibly as a Christian pray a better prayer. God, could you heal this palpitation so I can pray for for the my brothers and sisters in Christ and I'm just feeling so good about that prayer and he says no and it was like I, I felt like assaulted I was like no and he followed up right away because you got to hear my voice regardless of what's happening in and around you wow message received but sometimes it hasn't been so um, quick to I mean, that was instantaneous. The one with Mary was within a couple of hours. Um, sometimes when God says, you've got to pray for Ralph, I mean, it's, you've got to pray for Ralph. I'm thinking, um, okay, I'll just do it. I don't, you've got to pray for Ralph. So I pray for Ralph because he's like dying. And then, and then Ralph is diagnosed a year later with uh, terminal disease. 
every day I pass out, every year I pass out in my, my journal, uh, in my uh, daily devotional, which is, you know, based on, on the, the day of the month. Every August 31st, I'm praying, God, God healed Ralph. And, and a, a year after God tells me that, Ralph is diagnosed with, uh, with something terminal, which apparently isn't terminal. And then 11 years after that, I meet Ralph for the first time. So it was 12 and a half years before I found out why I was praying that, right? Another time I was, I was praying, God, uh, you keep talking about this, this, um, these guys that I'm going to work with. Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. God finally, God, God finally told me, he said, you're getting tired of me, aren't you? I thought, well, I have been asking for six months, God, so, um, and nothing's happening. And he says, you're just getting tired of me. And it was like in your face. And I thought, okay, God, I will not get tired of you. I'll keep praying. Took me 25 years. That, that very day, God says, you're getting tired of me. One of the guys that I'm working most closely with now was born that very day. But I didn't see it for 25 years. So then it goes back to the beginning. So sometimes you're going you're gonna to be able to apply the voice of God and where he's telling you to go, notice that, the way you should go. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, not in the way you should sit. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Does that give you a certain level of intimacy? Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Now back to the beginning, back to where he started us, of how joyous it is to be in the kingdom of God. Many of the sorrows of the wicked, this harkens also back to Psalm 1, like Pastor, Pastor Josh was talking about. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. So I'm here to testify to that, that God begins and ends with this goodness. The, the trauma of, of, of life, the, the, the redemption, the restoration, the empowerment that we continue to cycle through. I mean, my whole life's been that, but and, and, and it's happened multiple times. I'd be shocked if everyone in this room hasn't been through this multiple times. But it begins and ends with God's grace. Again, focus, focus on the two or three questions because the Psalms, like all of scriptures, they're not just written for, for back in the day, you know, 3,000 years ago. These are stories that not only have were inspired by God, but they are alive as... as Hebrews 4.12 says the, the word of God is, is living and active and see so what God will do with, with this uh, psalm in your life. Have you explicitly asked for God's forgiveness? Have you, if so, have you forgiven yourself as God has forgiven you? Can you hear what your heart is saying to you? Have you come face to face with the emptiness of your own soul? Come to the grips with your own efforts not being enough. Can you open your hurting heart to God and to trusted friends and family? Have you come clean with God? Are you coming clean with God? Have you taken hold of the redemption of Jesus? Have you internalized it? And are you ready to move from fear to bold righteousness? So, as I said, I made that, made that, uh, that second camp thing, August 22nd, 1967. It was a huge experience for me. Uh, uh, when I came up on 40th anniversary, which was almost 12 years ago now, 
I took the day off just to thank God. 40 years is sort of a big deal. 40 years in the wilderness, whatever. Um, it wasn't wilderness for me, but 40 years is a, is a big deal, biblically speaking. And uh, so I wrote down my experiences from that day from so long ago. And I'm going to, it's, it's, it's been the single most important day that has made me the man that I am today the man that I will be for all eternity by the grace of God. And I brought this uh, short piece to share with you. August 22nd, 1967. The day my life began. The day I began to move where God was moving. The day I made a decision that was to frame all of the decisions, a decision that would spread good in countless lives. This was the day I chose to be permanently and completely committed to God. I was drawn to this day by a God who compelled me, a God who called me from my earliest memories when other voices were silent, a God who saved me from many traumas designed to destroy me, a God who miraculously grew me through trials designed to neutralize me. August 22, 1967 was not the first day of my spiritual life, nor was it my last. I remember at the age of four, my grandfather teaching me that Jesus had been sent for me and that I must treasure God above all possessions on earth, lessons his lips spoke that his life missed. I remember a series of intestinal traumas that first had me cry out to God. I remember the specter of insanity that drove me to him as I entered adolescence. I remember taking my first steps back to God in June and nearly being killed by a drunk driver 48 hours later. August 22, 1967, Camp Alta, California. Instinctively, I knew I was there to make a major move toward God. Another instinct had me distracted by a girlfriend. But the relentless lover of my soul silently and steadfastly called me to him, called me to leave my past and my pain and my isolation, called me into an intense, intimate, and eternal relationship with him, called me to a mystery he continues to reveal and expand beyond my wildest dreams. August 22, 1967, I have no memory of what songs were sung, who the speaker was or what he said, who was there with me or who I talked to about my decision. I only remember my desperation, the voice calling me, quieter than any voice I'd ever heard, the love drawing me beyond any love I'd ever felt, the spirit compelling me beyond any compulsion I've ever known. August 22, 1967, I had almost no understanding of God's truth. I only knew that an undeniable presence was there. I had no understanding of what was going to happen to me. I only knew it had to be better than what I was living. I had no knowledge of what God be, would be requiring of me. I only knew this was the calling of a lifetime, an eternal lifetime, my chance to live a life of ultimate significance. August 22, 1967, I accepted God's presence completely into my life. I couldn't stop crying. The tears were not emotional. They were visceral. I knew now that I was beginning a destiny that I was born for and born for. August 22, 2007, 40 years later now, almost 52 years later, I'm continuing this joy, this journey of restoration and adventure and meaning. Looking back, I realize what God has saved me from. He saved me from a good life. A life that was so full of accomplishments and stuff that it would have been devoid of meaning. Saved me from a safe life. 
that would have been so scripted and predictable it would have lacked adventure. Save me from an intellectual life where my great learning would have only served my own ego and not the people around me. Save me from a religious life that would have been so full of churchy activities that I would have missed God's message of healing and redemption and power. And save me from a dysfunctional life where I would have passed on the pain and hurt I was taught instead of passing on healing and courage. And now 50 years later, the mystery is ever greater to me. The questions I had then indeed remain today. They loom ever larger. How can God overlook all my sins and mistakes and weaknesses? Why does God have mercy on me? Why does he save me? What does he see in me? Why does he love me not for what I can do for him, but for who I am? Why does he love me so intensely? There is only one answer. He is the relentless lover of my soul and of yours. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for your, the joy of your presence that we have no right to, but that you have given us full access to. I thank you for the freedom that we have in being your children, your sons and daughters, the grace we have no claim to, but that you give freely. Move us, Jesus, from silence to speaking, to repentance, to truth, to power, all in your name. And that's how we pray. Amen.